Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith, here with your welcome toast, it was Jules Renard who said, basically, it takes as much intelligence to create a successful pantry as to write a good piece of literature. I got that sunshine in my pocket, got that good soul in my feet, I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us right now. Thanksgiving, step by easy step, Chris Prosperi, king of mashed potatoes, walks us through the making of them so they're perfect. And we're posting his instructions at foodschmooze.org. I will tell you how to use Chris's recipe to make my brown butter mashed potatoes, a version of his. Our idea is to put out all kinds of wines for Thanksgiving. No stress, easy on the wallet. Our featured cookbook author has lots of great ideas for leftovers that you can eat as an entirely different meal, as you'll hear. So make extra everything. Scallion pancakes for Hanukkah Christmas and from Julia Tertian, sheet pan sausage stuffing for Thanksgiving. That's all coming your way. My food buddies are here at our culinary studios at the Big G in downtown New Haven, Gateway Community College. We have five professional kitchens to use in the Big G's culinary training program, as you know. Smell the cookies baking. Mm. From our sister public station in Phoenix, KJZZ, senior contributor Alex Province will be with us in a little bit. A senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken, wine broker, Mark Raymond, senior contributor, Chris Prosperi. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. hey Faith. Right. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, pop quiz. What do you all think is the most popular side dish on Thanksgiving? Let me just Ooh. add here. You folks who, like me, guessed stuffing. Wrong. Really? Because that's where I was going. Wow. Stuffing's not the number one? Chris, it's your mashed potatoes. How do I know this? Yeah. I went on the internet machine. Yeah? (laughs) Okay, here's another one. Which country is the most potato-loving country? Ireland. Uh, Yeah, I was going Ireland, too. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Belarus. Belarus. Okay. I would never guess. I don't even know where that is. (laughs) (laughs) Geography lesson. (laughs) I'm geographically challenged, I I guess. Me too. All right, who grows the most potatoes in America? Idaho. You're you're going to say Idaho, right. And it is Idaho. But 30 states now grow potatoes, and Washington state is nipping at the skins of Idaho. (laughs) Nipping at the skins. Nice. Here is my favorite fact as we get to how to make mashed potatoes. How big was the largest potato grown in recorded history, in other words, in contemporary times. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'll say five pounds. I'm going to say 35 pounds. No. 
No. No, that's a small child. It's a small pumpkin. <laughs> that's a no, toddler. It's like, it's like a Volkswagen. What do you mean? <laughs> okay. Here it is. A man named Peter Glazebrook holds the record in his back garden in Nottinghamshire, England, where his vegetables are often covered by a blanket in the evenings. I love that. Isn't that so oh. English? Oh, yes. Mr. Glazebrook dug up the heaviest potato on record, weighing in at eight pounds four ounces you should i saw the picture wow. on, you saw the uh, on that's the like a newborn machine. baby yep <laughs> i'm gonna have he, to google that okay he holds two other records apparently one for the heaviest parsnip and one for the longest beetroot <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> mr. <laughs> mr glazebrook is a rock star at the national giant vegetable show in england can i tell you how much i want to go to that <laughs> honestly I think he deserves to be knighted, honored with, you know, a walk-on for Game of Thrones, anything for this Ooh, man. I when like you that. are a star at the giant vegetable show <laughs> in England, <laughs> something special has to happen. Okay, ready, mashed potato lovers? We've posted this, again, at our online site, Instructions for the Best Mashed Potatoes, an article co-created by our very own Chris Rossberry and food journalist Bill Daly in Chicago. You can get help right now and forevermore at foodschmooze.org. Let's explain how to make super delicious mashed potatoes, even if you are using mere normal-sized potatoes. Okay, Chris, start us off. No skipping things. Okay, yeah. Come Anybody's on, buddy. Confused, you got this. Okay. You jump this, in. Got to give credit to Bill, though, because Bill did exactly what you did just now to me. He said, slow down. We're going to get everything in that you do to make mashed potatoes. We're and not going to read no, everything. No, not everything, but we'll give you the highlights, right? Because there's a lot of technical stuff in mashed potatoes that people don't realize. Well, you explain why things are the way they are with mashed potatoes. And this is how people who know what they're doing, I don't. I just boil up a bunch of potatoes mm. and start mashing them with something, <laughs> and they're too... And, and sometimes they come out good, and sometimes they're sticky, and sometimes well, they're right. They're lumpy, or they're yeah, this or that. Cheese. Do I care? No, yeah, because I... Good. I throw butter in, yeah. and I have a grand old time. Are oh, I throw been... butter. I'll throw cheese. I'll yeah. throw roasted garlic. I'll oh, throw... oh I... okay. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, but there is an art <laughs> to making the actual mashed potatoes before you put the stuff in it. Okay, that's okay. right. So let's start, start with the. Out, let's Chris. start. Peel and rinse the potatoes. Right. What kind? I like Idaho's. I cut them into quarters. They don't have to be exactly the same size or whatever, but pretty mm-hmm. close. Then you put them in a pot. With three quart pot yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, okay. you want to be able to cover them with an inch of water. And what kind of water is really important? Cold, Cold water. water. A lot of people pour hot water on it, and that is not the best thing to do to the potatoes. Now, do I put a cover on? A cover will make it go faster. Without the cover, it takes a little longer. All right. So, what uh, am I looking for here now that I've got the potatoes turn covered the thing, by one inch? Yeah. You want to bring it to a full boil. It takes somewhere around five minutes, depending on how cold your water is, depending on how strong your stove. But figure about five minutes to get it up to that full boil. Because remember, you use cold water, so it takes a little longer, right? Now, here's the part where you tell us, you know, a super fact. Yep. We're making our potatoes boil, Mark, because 
It helps prevent the starch from leaching out of the potato cells. Which would be bad. Which would be bad. But we'll get into the stickiness later. That, no just leaching. remember that. So cold water, bring it to that full boil. Here's where I make my mistake, people. I keep it boiling for like a really long time. And, and you're saying there's no. There's the next step. So as soon as it comes to those full boil, you immediately turn it down to a simmer. Do you do simmer. that? 180 no. degrees. I bubbles. Know. This a is slow boil. What does it look uh, like? Uh, just bubbling. So how long are we going? It takes Chris? about thirty minutes, maybe forty minutes, depending on again how low that simmer is. You want to make sure the potatoes are fully cooked, and that means I just jab a fork, a regular dinner fork, in it. When you stick it in there, no resistance. It just goes right in. Soft. Soft. I do this too much, and the potato's not only soft, but when I stick the fork in, it can kind of fall apart. Yeah, a little too and much. then you keep sticking yeah. until yeah. you get them all. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're mashed. Okay, again, okay. that's important, but not as important as do not boil. We're mm. prioritizing things. So if you cook it a little too long, it's okay if it's a little bit and they fall apart a little bit. You but mean the most do not boil? Thing, do not boil the water. The Do whole not time. Bo- you told me to boil in the very yes, beginning. But that's it. And the second that happens, turn, turn it, it down. down to a simmer. Yes. That's the most important thing of what mm. we just talked Almost about. Almost like Agreed. what you would do with rice. So yeah. you would bring it to a boil, yep. and then once it's boiling, you simmer it, and yep. you would cover it it the rice, it but you don't have to. This is Chris Prosperi. He's the king of mashed potatoes. These are his perfect mashed potatoes. He honestly makes the most incredible mashed potatoes. They are delicious. Okay. <laughs> you ready for step two? Now, step two is I got my fork in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to go. And again, this entire set of instructions is posted at foodschmooze.org. You'll find it now through the, oh, the holidays. Okay. Use it. The okay. end of time. End of time. So this is now Infinity step, and beyond. step two. This again, this one is a high priority too, just like don't boil, right? This Excuse one is... Excuse me, but what am I doing with okay. my softened potatoes in the water now that we're going to do this other thing? No, no. You see, it says in the meantime. So while that's simmering, you're going to do this. It takes 30 minutes. you got plenty of time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? yep. You could be reading a book or whatever, but this let them cook slowly. This is why you read a recipe. Yeah. Full, all, all the way. way. Oh, my gosh. All so the important. All the way through. In the meantime, in other words, while they're doing that simmer thing, what mm-hmm. do you want us to do? Cream and oh, butter. Yeah. No skimping here. Mm-hmm. Right? And you take your butter and your cream, put it in a pot, and on low heat, you just melt it. Basically. The low heat is yeah, vital here. It. Yeah, you don't want to boil it. Because it's cream and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't okay. want the separation. And you can do this while the potatoes are cooking. So put it on a burner, put it on the lowest setting your burner goes, and just let it sit there. And by The, the time, lowest possible. Yeah, by the time the potatoes are done, this yeah, is nice. Yeah, you can throw it in the microwave for 30 no, seconds. Here's yeah, the thing. This is heavy for me to get this pot of potatoes and super hot water. I, I burned my arm I don't know how many times. Now we're going to strain the potatoes, right, into a colander. Mm -hmm. Chris, you use a towel, oven mitts. Yes, very hot pot, right? Boiling water, simmering water, very hot. A lot of steam when you dump, so don't stand over it, right? Dump dump away from yourself because it is. Yeah, yeah, it's steam. If you're really worried about it, take your pot over to the sink and you can use one of those spiders, you know, those little scoop things and scoop out the potatoes. That's easier if it's too heavy for you to dump. We see the steam coming off. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about it, except that I've burned my arm. I don't think <laughs> of a thing. Mm-hmm. Chris says, super fact, this steam mm-hmm. coming off these potatoes so important. is... Go ahead, tell All right. It's important because that steam, remember what steam is, is water. Right. So you want these potatoes, when they're ready to be add to cream and mash, you want these potatoes to be dry, not wet. And you know why? 
This is the most exciting part of the whole recipe. Come on. The less water that are in the potatoes, the more cream and butter you can put in the mashed potatoes. All right. <laughs> it absorbs It absorbs more. it. Yes. It absorbs. Yeah, so, so this is vital. <laughs> because remember, good mashed potatoes got to have a lot of butter and cream. I don't do this, but oh, a lot no. of chefs I know. This is, this the, is silly. This but is I'm just crazy, letting you know how crazy. But some chefs, and most of them are my French friends, they put their oh. potatoes on a cookie sheet and a 300-degree oven and dry them before they mash them. Wow. Block your ears. But you want to dry them, so let them steam. So you let the steam come off. Does it start to subside? It it subsides, but I'll tell you a little trick that I found even after I wrote this recipe. This is a little trick, right? Open them up, like move the potatoes around a little bit, more steam will come out. Yeah. I should give them a little shake every once in a while. So not long. You just want to do it till they're dry. They change color. You'll see it. They look wet when they come out of the water. When the steam comes off Mm. it, they look like they're dry. You know what? I always say it. They look thirsty. And thirsty for cream and butter. Aren't we all? (laughs) Yes. Okay. ready for step three? This is an old school thing. Mm -hmm. Remember how people take the potatoes right here and they put them through a ricer? Or a Remember your grandparents? Oh, yeah. My My grandmother used to do it all the time. My mom did food. I don't do that. No. Do we have to do that? No. No. I've got a little pampered chef tool that's got the holes Uh in it. They're called potato mashers. Potato mashers. And I just boom, 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 boom. Okay, so I've got a potato masher in my hand, and mm-hmm. these potatoes, where are they? Am I, I put them in the colander. Yes, yes, but you've moved them now to a bowl. You either move them to a bowl, or Mark's idea is really good, too, if you're not like me and have people doing your dishes for you. Move it right back into the pot. Just make sure the pot is dry. Bragging. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so mm-hmm. the pot's dry. Yep. In the potatoes. back they go. Yep. Now you're going to not rice them, but you're going to mash them because I like them mashed because this is the difference. They're not lumps, but there's texture to them when you mash them by hand. There's little puffs of potato that like explode in your mouth. So I like leaving little like, I don't mix them all the way. They're not not, whipped. Yeah, they're not whipped. I don't whip my potatoes. I like little texture differences. But I like them a little chunky Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's just me. me I like that biting into that, but I think that's not proper. We call, you know what? In my restaurant when I'm training my new chefs, they say the same thing. My new chefs that come in my kitchen and I give them this. We like to call them country mash. Oh. See, they're making fancy mashed potatoes, but our mashed potatoes, oh. they're country mash. And then so you get a nice. I'm just uh, mashing away. Yep, mashing away. But you're not like, you're not destroying them, right? Because you want to leave a you little You want a little texture. texture. Yes. You want a little texture and in there. Now, nothing's in there. I'm just mashing Mashed. plain right. old mm-hmm. potatoes. We've in added pot. nothing at this point. Mm-hmm. What about salt? Yes, we... this is the next step. So, yes, we've done nothing so far, but now we're sprinkling in about a tablespoon of salt. And That's it. Tablespoon. We're just hmm. starting out, people. Okay. And we're right. using it, mash that in, or yes. just scoop we're, it we're just sprinkling and... it on top. And when I oh. say a tablespoon, remember, I'm saying kosher salt, not table salt, right? That's important too. You got to distinguish because the two. it's, it's less twice, salt. Yeah, it's, if it's, it's less kosher. salt. It's kosher because the flakes are bigger. Yeah, okay. Bingo. Now, now you're going to place I'm the pan with the warm that, cream. I'm looking yeah. over at that pan mm-hmm. of cream Ooh, and yeah. butter. Mm-hmm. Or for me, I have made brown butter at this point. Oh, yeah. Without wow. the cream. Okay. For me, I've made garlic butter. So oh. when, when we're going to mash it, remember, I don't want to mash like don't beat them up. Don't just go around the pot. Break up all the big pieces. The potatoes will crumble. And I'm telling you, if they're dry, they'll look like flakes of snow. All right. They're, it's gorgeous. Oh, no. and they're, I'm going to look at my I, potatoes so differently. They are like just, actually sexy. Listen, mm-hmm. they are dying for cream and butter at this point, right? Because okay. now you've salted them, and that makes them even drier and mm. even more thirsty. Mm-hmm. And, and now I, they want the butter and cream. No, so, so, 
<laughs> no, they want the butter and cream. This is going to be the best part of my Thanksgiving. Right. Okay. Now you're going to add, and this is okay. This is another okay, so, one. A lot of people will dump all the butter and cream in. Yeah, that's and, what and I you're not going to do that. You're going to just put in. I don't know, roughly a half cup. You don't have to measure it. I'm going to put it in a little at a time. In other words, yes, half cup and, at a time. And you'll see. And that, what do I do to mix just, it in? Just, you're just moving it a little. You're not. Am I using that masher thing? It. No, you can use the masher. or You can use a spoon. spoon. You're not super fact number four, right, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Why are we doing it like this? Because the more you mix it, the more sticky the potatoes will get. And steam, believe it or yep. not, is still coming yes. off those potatoes. Mm-hmm. And the drier They're, they are, these are recalcitrant yes. potatoes. Now, once you get them wet, you know, and you, you got some mashed potatoes, then I'm going to dump in a decent amount of cream and butter, and then I'm mashing them, I'm mixing it very slowly, dragging it slowly, the, the spoon or the masher in. Again, not mixing hard until I get the consistency I like. I like my mashed potato. It's the finest line between potato soup and regular mashed potatoes. You oh, want, okay. you want right? So regular mashed potatoes to me are a little too firm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? This has got not soup, but just really sloshy. Because what you'll see, and this is, again, tip number 18 here in this thing, the, the longer you let this sit, mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. butter that's going to get absorbed. So if you look at your potatoes and they're just like jiggling around in there and you're like, oh, my gosh, I messed up. They're too wet. There's too much butter and cream. It looks like a soup. All you got to do is wait like 10 minutes and you'll see those cells if you did this properly. And like I said, and the most important part, don't boil because those cells won't pop. They'll suck up all that butter and cream. Really? Oh, my gosh. It's heavy. Yeah. And the longer – and if you do this like I do for the holidays, if you do it ahead of time, you can add even more cream because if it sits overnight in the fridge, it absorbs all of it by the time it cools. I love it. Fantastic. This is posted, How to Make Perfect Mashed Potatoes, thanks to Chris and Bill Daly, foochmoves.org. And for my brown butter mashed potatoes, I, w- I would just cook the butter very slowly on the mm-hmm. stovetop until it gets that hazelnutty aroma and turns a little bit dark. And then instead of – now, I don't put cream in my brown butter mashed potatoes, but I'm rethinking I know he's what? shocked. I'm no. rethinking this. What? I'm like, should I? Should I? Oh, well, isn't should it going to cut that brown buttery thing back a little bit? Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, a little bit, but All not right. much. I'm not doing it, All but right. anyone is free yeah. to do it because yeah. it's a free country. Okay. That's right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fast. You put your garlic in there. So and- I take a head. Of, uh, there's two ways you could do this, but I take a head of roasted garlic, take all those cloves, those beautiful golden brown cloves, mash them up, put them into roasted. that butter. This is Roasted, roasted garlic. Mash them up into that butter and then pour that in. And that way it really just kind of of absorbs all that flavor. All right. But if you don't have the roasted garlic, you can buy roasted garlic powder from a Pensy Spice or something like that. By the way, by the way, for people who want lobster mashed potatoes, you just get lobster and dice it up, and there's usually a little juice in there with it. And you put that in there with it, and you have lobster mashed potatoes. I don't know exactly how that goes with turkey, but who cares? Who cares? It's just crazy delicious. Who doesn't want lobster mashed potatoes? It's at boochmoose.org. 
We have Julia Tertian joining us to explain how to do a sheet pan stuffing. Oh, and we have, we tested a Zinfandel and it passed with flying colors. We're going to tell you about that too. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. Now's a good time. We're online now at foodschmooze.org and we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast, meaning a copy of the show. It'll arrive in your inbox every week, and you can listen to it whenever you want. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, though he has had to dash out to get to the food conference at Disney. We have wine broker Alex Province at our sister public station, KJZZ in Phoenix, our wine guy and senior contributor Mark Raymond is here. We're going to talk with you about Thanksgiving wines, a kind of philosophy of, about what to put out on the table. But we're going to start with this wine. It's called Shooting Star. It happens to be one that was submitted to our tasting panel, and we like it a lot. It's from Mendocino County in California. It's a very Bing Cherry-like Zinfandel, which means it goes with just about everything. It's a really sort of big, bold, opulent, fruit-forward mm. style red wine. Delicious. I, I love this. I love the jamminess and the juiciness mm. of this. Mm, 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 I think mm. it's just perfect for this time of year, perfect for Thanksgiving. Just delicious. It's got a little dark chocolate in there, too. I, I was thinking that my two favorites for Thanksgiving in the red department would be the museum mm-hmm. that I'm just berserk about, and that's $20 a bottle. Right. This Shooting Star Zinfandel, which is $15 a bottle, these are all on our website. By the way, anything to do with Thanksgiving, go to foodschmooze.org and type in Thanksgiving, and all kinds of things will come up. We've got a whole box on this particular wine, picture of the label, so you can call ahead, and I think $15 a bottle, this is a real bargain. Wonderful wine to walk in the door with. And if I'm sitting around sipping, just like that museum, this is so friendly. Yes. Alex, Mm. do you think Zinfandels are that way in general? 
Yeah, they're soft and tannins, and they're rich and ripe, like Mark was saying, opulent. You know how sometimes Cabernet can just be tannic and strong? Mm. Zin is like the opposite. A glass of that, you don't need food. It it's is food. Sporty. It it's is. sporty, yeah. yeah. A lot of people cut their teeth on Zinfandel. Like yeah. a lot of, you know, when they're coming into yeah. their 20s, it's one of the first wines that you it's, really they, But they buy drinking. that pink, sweet Zinfandel. <laughs> yeah. and, or white well, Zinfandel. And it's and not that. There's no. nothing wrong with that at Same all. Same grape. Same yeah. grape. But yeah. this is yeah. a little a little more balanced. It's not Has sweet acidity. in any way. Not yeah. sweet at all. It's like okay. an old friend. You know, it's as if you had if you were friend. chewing yeah. on a bunch of Bing cherries and yet yeah. yeah, you called it wine and it was great with your food. That's what this <laughs> is. Okay, go ahead. We have a lot of friends that want to do American wines for Thanksgiving as well. It's an American holiday. And Zinfandel really is an American grape. Great it has point. its origins in, in Italy, I think, with Primitivo. But it's been grown in California for like, what, 150 years or something? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Who's, who makes this one? The producer is Jed Steele, and he's one of the great quality winemakers out of California. So when we are Steel looking wines. for our wholesome wines without a lot of crazy additives, handpicked, no junk, he's that guy. He's one of those one guys. One of those guys. Okay. He's one of those guys. One of those people, I guess we should say. Cool. All right. Let's get into the, your philosophy about putting. Sometimes we try and say, "Oh, here are two great wines. Here's a red. Here's a white." Or, but maybe we're leaning in the direction this time of saying, "Put a whole bunch out." I think when you have guests over, everyone has a different taste, right? So having lots of wines that cover the gamut from sweeter to maybe drier. Whites and reds, maybe sparkling. Rosés now are on sale because it's the end of season, so you can get those. And they're great pairings for this time of year. Absolutely. And so I like your idea, Faith. I would get, you know, one or two bottles of six or seven different kinds of wines. Well, I think things go in trends and in waves. And this year, who knows how ideas get in our heads? Who knows why I'm saying, uh, let's put out a whole bunch of stuff. All different reds and whites and different kinds and try this with your turkey, try that with your green beans, you know, just whatever it is. And I'm sort of over it has to be absolutely perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. You do want to avoid wines that have lots of tannins, Faith, because tannins don't really go well with things that are spicy or super sweet. Are you talking about a Bordeaux? Yes. So big tannic, dry Bordeaux or Cabernet Sauvignon is not necessarily going to go with things that have a little spice or exotic mm-hmm. spices or sweetness on your table. Unless so the, you have an Italian start to your Thanksgiving or an Italian Thanksgiving ooh. with red sauce. And, you know, maybe then that would steak. go. Steak. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and a classic is you have to almost have a Pinot Noir, though. Because mushrooms and turkey and all that goes so, so well. We cook the traditional turkey meals, but we always have the gas grill on for New York strips because I have a couple nephews that don't eat eat the turkey. You know, so there's a little bit of everything there. Yeah, I like that. So I love this Sinfandel from Mendocino. I think this would go with so much on the table. You know I am a nut about the museum yeah. reserve wine that we so had on good. the show. $20 Love a bottle wine. on that one. That goes with every darn thing on your Thanksgiving table. Was that Grenache or Tempranillo? Tempranillo. 100% Tempranillo. Yeah, Old so vine you, Tempranillo. Yeah. Tempranillo and Pinot Noir are so similar in that they're both so soft yeah. and elegant. We haven't done whites that would be good. Oh, I think so Al- many. Alsatian whites oh, yeah. would be good. Riesling, Riesling, dry, Riesling, dry Riesling. Yeah. 
Yes, from Washington State. That's Pino, right. And Pinot Green. The ones from, like, St. Michelle has the Eroica that, that is a good compromise from people who like super sweet. And then also your wine geeky friends that will appreciate a sweeter Riesling, but it's really, really well made. You can bridge between, you know, your friends that are on opposite sides of the wine spectrum. And, you know, if you don't know what you're doing or anything that we're talking about, don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't be embarrassed. We know how that feels. It happens oh, to yeah. me all the time. It just... Go into a wine store you think you can trust and say to them, look, I want to pick a case of different wines. A mixed case. And I want to have them, yep, want to have them go with Thanksgiving table. Tell me what you think. Do that with someone who's proven trustworthy, who knows what they, I mean, sometimes, no offense, stores can have kids on who really don't know anything. And don't be afraid to give them a beer. (laughs) Yeah, and don't be afraid to give a Which budget isn't bad, either. Actually. Yeah, and, that's know, a great point. Tell people Alex. that mm-hmm. I want to spend ten or fifteen dollars. I don't want fifty dollar bottles. I want a mixed case. I want whites, reds, mm-hmm. a rosé or two, a sparkling, and tell them you want. Faith says I want wholesome, well made wines, and <laughs> yeah. they know exactly what you mean, and mm. they'll they'll put together a mixed box for you. I like it that you say, Alex. Don't be afraid to say your price point because. When I'm ordering wine for my weeknights, I end up being the last word on a wine that is chosen for the show. I am like drilling the gang here. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? But what about this? But what about that? But in the end, I kind of end up with saying, okay, that's good. We're going to go with that. I can't tell you how many $10 bottles we do. This is what they're drinking in Italy, Spain, and France. They're not mm-hmm. drinking yeah. $50 bottles of wine we, during the week. No, they're we not. We call them daily so drinkers. That's you right. Say, daily drinker. You say, <laughs> I want my Thanksgiving wines, if you want this, to be $10 yeah. a bottle or less because I'm buying a case. Okay, so there you go. We just want you to have a good time. And m- most, most of what you get is going to go with something on the table. And it's going to be and all be res- fine. And also be mindful, you know, be a responsible drinker on Thanksgiving, too. Make sure you have designated drivers if you're going to partake in drinking. It's important. Oh, yes. We have a recipe for gravy, a very easy gravy that we made kind of from scratch here on the show using box chicken stock and just throwing a few things together. So if you type in Thanksgiving, you'll see that that's there for you and a whole bunch of Thanksgiving recipes and wine recommendations, including desserts. And coming up, we have Julia Tertian, who's got a book kind of about leftovers, but there's a great recipe in here for the holidays on making a sausage and spinach stuffing on a sheet pan. That sounds delicious. I'm all over that. I know you are. I know. It's like very good. And can I throw in a word for delicata squash? Since some people haven't picked their vegetables. Please do. Preach. So it's it's a kind of yellow squash. With a green stripe up and down it. I yeah, had, I've seen I, it so many times. For the longest time, I just didn't go near it because I thought, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> or what to do with it. And then I tasted it at a few restaurants and I, I said, what is this? I realized how easy it is to make it. Mm. I mean, you just cut it in half lengthwise and yeah. take a spoon, out go the seeds, and then you just slice it into half inch moons like the letter C and you might sprinkle a little butter or whatever you want olive on oil. it. Yes, you could do olive oil. You could throw a little garlic in. You could do a little smoked paprika to do a kind of a Spanish Ooh, style. I like that. 
and then on a piece of foil in the oven it goes. It's wonderful as a squash, and that's an easy one to do for the holiday. I'm definitely Faith, it's cool you're saying this because I have more friends now that are on, like, dietary restrictions that are going towards squashes and pumpkins more now as a a staple in their diet. So this is a good one for me to know. I always put a warm spice on my squash, so I like nutmeg and cinnamon. Mm. It's like, mm. I feel like it's cheating. It's almost desserty. Yeah. A little drizzle of honey. Yes. Would you put that on delicata? Absolutely. Oh, I'm going to try that, cinnamon. Robin. I like the honey idea, too. That yeah. sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm. These are the pie spices. I see where yeah, you're and going. Then, and, then <laughs> yeah. put it in a, and then put it in a pie. Yeah. <laughs> and then you serve it as a pie. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and then it's pie. And don't forget the puff pastry. <laughs> and then forget the squash. <laughs> it's dessert time. Add some Sunday. more apples. Yeah. Add Jack, some chocolate. This is like a Jack Nicholson routine. <laughs> Covered with whipped cream. <laughs> All right, coming up, lots and lots of ideas for reinventing leftovers. And don't forget, we've got that, I love anything with a sheep pan. Sheep pan stuffing. I like that. <laughs> Talk with you about that. Yes. Um, we love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. And we'll be right back with Julia Tertian. Faith Middleton. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, that means the Hamptons, too. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and to hear this show on Connecticut Public, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcast and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. And don't forget, because it is holiday time, all you have to do is go to foodschmooze.org and type in the word Thanksgiving, and a lot of great stuff is going to come at you. Uh, Like our guest, I love leftovers because, as Julia Tertian says, leftovers mean you're already halfway to the whole meal. But here's the thing. I'm alone several days and nights each week researching, inventing, trying recipes in my home test kitchen. By dinner, I don't want to lift a finger. So I'm ready for leftovers. But I mean seriously, just the leftovers. So I eat the gloppy leftover salad. I gnaw on two small cold lamb chops from yesterday's toast recipe. It's like an episode of The Bachelor. So let's get some inspiration from cookbook author Julia Tertian. You'll remember she did the cookbook uh, Feed the Resistance. This new one on leftovers is called Now and Again. It's about making things ahead, doctoring the leftovers that you planned on or didn't. It's not about watching Rachel Maddow gnawing on a pork chop, my my style. Julia, welcome back to the Food Schmooze. Thanks so much for having me back. One of my favorite New Yorker cartoons is on my office wall at home, and it's two people out to dinner, and one says to the other, 
when the portions are this huge, I eat half now and the other half in a few minutes. <laughs> I love that. It's just like perfect for your book. Okay, let's hit the trail. When I asked Jacques and Gloria Pepin what meal they most often throw together, almost as if it's leftovers, they said eggs, scrambled eggs. And that's true for me too. How about you? Yeah, I would say eggs are probably the thing I make most often as well. I mean, they're just so easy, they're affordable, they fill you up, and and they're so versatile. You know, you can really mix them up. How does that qualify as a leftover? If you put an egg on top of anything, it turns into a meal. So if you have leftover vegetables or grains or pasta, anything at all, I think if you just warm that up and you throw a fried egg on top, you've got a complete meal. I know. Oh, yeah. A little crown. Just that little flip of what you said makes everybody's, you know, mind just boom, open up. This recipe I went absolutely crazy over Garlic and anchovy butter toasts. Can you just tell me about this recipe? One of my favorites because it's so simple, but it's so good. The garlic and anchovy butter. So you basically mash some garlic and anchovies and a bit of parsley into soft butter, spread it on toast, and it's basically all the flavors of Caesar salad dressing, but in butter form. Oh, (laughs) which makes it so delicious. (laughs) That's killing me. And it's a really useful thing to just keep in the fridge, too, because you can toss that same butter with cooked rice or pasta, vegetables, put it on roast chicken. Mm. Delicious. Somebody talked about, maybe it was Melissa Clark, putting garlic and anchovy butter on the outside of a turkey. Yeah, that was Melissa Clark. I just read the same thing. Well, didn't that sound good? Yeah. I know. delicious. Okay, well, I very much appreciate this recipe in your book because I really want to do this. Thank you for letting us post this recipe on our site. Sheet pan bread stuffing with sausage and spinach. I love everything you can do on a sheet pan. (laughs) It just fills you with confidence that you can just toss these things together. We're talking about country bread, uh, could be sourdough, torn into these bite-sized pieces, a little olive oil, some fennel sausage, Italian fennel sausage. You know, you take the casings off and you've got that delicious inside. Some onions and celery and garlic, sage leaves, chicken stock, maybe you have turkey stock, you lucky person, frozen spinach that you defrost, Italian parsley, eggs, and butter. Those are all the ingredients for a stuffing or a stuffing like bread pudding is really kind of Mm -hmm. it. So tell us how it comes together. It's a great idea. Thanks. This is my absolute favorite. Um, And so you tear up all that bread and put it on a sheet pan and toast it in the oven just to dry it out. And if you're using stale bread, you can just skip that step. But you basically just want to dry out the bread so that it will absorb all the flavor you're about to add to it. Crumble and cook the sausage just to get all the fat out. And then you add all those aromatic vegetables you mentioned, the onion and celery and garlic. Cook them with the sausage and that sausage fat and add the fresh sage and the stock and then the spinach. And you mix it all together and you have this really flavorful mixture. And you toss that with the really dried out bread so Mm. it'll soak it all up. (laughs) And you add some, some eggs. Press it back into that sheet pan that you just, you know, toasted the bread on. Dot the top with butter, and then you bake it. And basically what happens is it's a really typical bread stuffing. It's got all my favorite flavors, sage and sausage and everything. 
But the fact that you do it on the sheet pan means that everyone gets a crispy portion, um, yeah. which to me is the best mm. part of stuffing. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes. Instead of fighting over the corners, each portion is delicious and crispy. And it also cooks a lot faster since it's thinner. Alex, yeah. don't you want to take one of those crispy bits and put it on a, a sandwich the next day with the oh, turkey with a and like, with some mayo? Oh, and, cranberry sauce, oh. yes. Put a fried okay. egg yes. on top. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Glass really? of wine. What's better? I feel <laughs> hungry for that right cream. now. <laughs> okay, so uh. um, here's the thing. We're going to get to your description of uh, stress-free Thanksgiving in a few minutes, but... First, I love that you did a not-kosher Jewish Christmas <laughs> section. And in that section, we have crispy scallion sesame pancakes, which is one of my favorite things mm. on earth. I wish you lived near me because I think we like a lot of the same things. <laughs> um, this has flour, some sesame seeds, salt, sesame oil, key. Uh, you boil some water, a little rice vinegar and soy sauce and scallions, of course. These are not hard to make. No, they're not. And they're actually really fun to make because you basically get to play with dough. (laughs) And the dough itself is really simple. It's just that mixture of flour and salt. And then to flavor it, you add the sesame seeds directly to the dough and a little bit of toasted sesame oil, which is just full of flavor. Yeah. and then you add the boiling water to that flour mixture. And it's a pretty dry dough at first, and you just let it sit for a couple minutes, absorb the moisture, and then you knead it a little bit, let it rest, uh, you know, just give the gluten some time to relax. And then you break it into pieces, and you roll that dough that already has the flavor of, of sesame in it. You roll it into little rounds, almost like little mini pizzas, <laughs> and mm-hmm. brush the top with a little bit of just plain canola or vegetable, any kind of neutral oil. Then you sprinkle sliced scallions right on top of your little dough round, almost like you're making a scallion pizza. And then you're going to roll up each round of dough. So basically you're getting this concentric circle of scallions in your dough, and you're building layers. And then you have these little almost like scallion cigars or (laughs) or little yoga mats. You know, they're rolled up into a coil. And then you take each of those and you coil them around like you were coiling like a hose or a rope or something. And then once again, you roll them into a round. And I did a whole series of photographs to show you because it might yeah, sound harder that was than helpful. it is. But it's, yeah, it's actually really, really easy. Basically, you're making all these layers, and each layer has that flavor of sesame and scallion. And, and then you cook them in a hot skillet just with a little bit of oil in the pan. You make a really, really simple little dipping sauce of rice vinegar and soy sauce plus a little bit more mm. of that toasted sesame oil. They are so oh, good, and they're so boy. fun to make. Yeah. If, if there's a kid around or something, you know, it's a fun thing to do with someone. I love them. And so delicious. They're delicious. Oh, mm. my goodness. This is Julia Tertian, author of a cookbook for all seasons called Now and Again, and it's about reinventing leftovers. Julia, before we move to this next thing about a stress-free Thanksgiving... <laughs> I was going to say the, mi- the myth of the stress. <laughs> um, how did this happen that you decided to do this leftover thing? Sometimes people who do this for a living will say, oh, I see a niche in here, you know, a wedge. This would be a good topic. I know we could sell that book. And then other times it's because out of your life you realize there's something you do and over and over and over again, and you think, oh, I want to share this with people. Now, maybe I, I made one sound better than the other. I really don't <laughs> feel that way. <laughs> what was it for you? How did you end up doing this book on leftovers? 
For me, it was definitely the latter. It really came from what I do uh, just naturally in my day-to-day life. So my wife, Grace, and I, we live in a very rural area. We eat almost every single meal at home. There's not many restaurants near where we live. There's no takeout or anything like that. I also love to cook, so <laughs> so it works out. But, you know, just because I, I love to cook doesn't mean I necessarily want to start from scratch every single time. And I always make more than we can possibly eat in one sitting, so that way we can have leftovers. So, again, I don't have to start from scratch because time is limited, and, and sometimes you just don't want to put in all that effort. <laughs> um, but you still want a really good meal. So with that in mind, it's also important to know that I don't love eating the same thing every day. So I have almost like a game I play where I'm always just reinventing leftovers. And Mm. I find it to be so fun. And it lets you be really creative in the kitchen because it's all about using just, you know, what you have. It's also great because you've already done most of the hard work. You know, you've already peeled and chopped the vegetables or roasted the chicken or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> you've already done it. So you've got all these things waiting for you. And for me, leftovers just inspire so much just fun and creativity and transformation. For sure. Yeah. Let's try a little something right now because Chris Prosperi, he had to run after doing a whole thing on uh, perfect mashed potatoes for us in the first half of the show. But we were fooling around because he he left us for lunch some goulash, his mother's goulash recipe. So good. But we were saying, all right, now, you know, based on you, Julia, as inspiration, what would we do tomorrow night or the next day? What would we do with this to change this up completely? It's yeah. meat, it's carrots, it's um, very beans. stew-like. It's very yeah. stewy. We didn't really yeah. know what Tomato-y. was in it exactly. We just I don't said, know if we, had all we, the we just had seconds. That's yeah. all we knew. <laughs> so, but it was very stew-like and thick. And so, one thing we came up with: Would it be possible to put out that instant polenta roll, press it into a pan like it was a pizza bottom, roast that maybe with some olive oil on it, and then put this hot on, on top, top of it yeah and maybe some cheese on top of that and it would be and then cut it in pizza slices and that would be it wouldn't seem like the same thing again to me that sounds good right right or big egg those big wide noodles yeah mm-hmm. almost make like a yeah oh, like a stroganoff yeah, yeah. That's good. i thought maybe like um cooking off some farro or some quinoa and with some chicken broth and then using that as a base to mix in with it to make it a little bit more of a, a like a beef Ooh, stew kind of thing. That's or, good. Yeah. You could stuff it into a burrito. Ooh. 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 Yeah. yeah, right? Toast yeah. the outside of the taco. burrito and cut. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can Everything never go wrong. Everything goes into carnitas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See what you, Julia, this is what you've let loose with your, <laughs> with your you've inspired inspiring so much. book. I love the idea, too, that you, you don't waste food. Matt and I hate wasting food, so using leftovers is, I think, the right thing to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I walk around with my little lamb chop or pork chop, I am using the leftover. You are. (laughs) We don't waste here. It's it's funny you say that because, you know, in so many ways, Now and Again is is a book about food waste without ever saying so. It's about not wasting things Mm -hmm. and just seeing the potential in things. And, yeah, not throwing things out. Mm. It's a fun challenge. So, you know, this time of year, I always give this little talk about the approach to Thanksgiving, a kind of mindfulness thing, and you can relax into it and enjoy things. But no kidding, (laughs) Thanksgiving, even if you stretch out making it over an entire week, that's an entire week that you have made. It's just an enormous 
amount of work. That's the truth. So we all have these little tricks that we try. For some people, it's a glass of wine while they're <laughs> cooking. For other people, it's to spread it out across a week. Um, yeah. That would be more you, Julia, Simplify. I think. Um, but what do you think is the most important stress-reducing thing uh, for anybody to make ahead? I would honestly say the gravy. <laughs> um, I think everyone feels like the gravy has to be made at the last minute. You can't make it ahead, and it, it has to be done right before you know everyone sits down, and there's fat to be separated and a roux to be made. And I think there's a real false sense of, of emergency when it comes to gravy. And gravy is absolutely something you can make ahead. And it sits well in the fridge, too, and it reheats easily. Yeah. And it's something you can cross off your list and, you know, you just know it's done. So I would say the gravy. Mm, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I don't know why people don't take home leftover rice from Asian restaurants. So I love that you have a section called Seven Things to Do with Cooked Rice. Some of your ideas are make it fried, make it paella style, lox and eggs fried rice, Vietnamese is comfort soup, and uh, brown sugar rice pudding. Can you pick one of those and say, here's how you use that leftover rice without an enormous amount of effort to make something delicious? I would go with the Vietnamese comfort soup. And you just put all your leftover rice in a pot with some chicken stock, and you add some fresh ginger and garlic, a few spices, dried cloves and cinnamon, star anise, which just gives it like an amazing, amazing flavor. And you just simmer that for a while, and all of that flavor gets absorbed into the rice, and it makes this like just delicious, basically chicken and rice soup. If I'm not feeling well, this always just kind of brings me back. Mm. We have on the site also, perfect for this time of year, from your book, Julia, which is called Now and Again, Roast Turkey Breast, Onions, Mustard, and Sage. So many more people do this, just a breast, not the whole turkey. So tell me what you're doing here. It's so easy. You just mix together mustard, salt and pepper, and then some minced fresh sage, which to me just tastes and smells like Thanksgiving. And you rub that mixture over your turkey breast. It's a boneless turkey breast, which means it'll cook really fast. Set that on a bed of sliced onions in a big roasting pan. It could be a sheet pan, whatever you have. Roast it. It takes usually less than an hour, depending on the size. You just let it rest for a while, slice it, and basically you have this mustard and sage-scented turkey, and you serve it on these delicious warm onions that have absorbed all that extra flavor. It's effortless, so good, and it's really, yeah, stress-free. And the pan juices you can use for serving is kind of a natural turkey gravy, isn't it? Exactly. You can add them to your gravy if, if you're making it, and if you choose to not make gravy, which is totally fine. You can just spoon those juices right on top and you're good to go. Well, that's at foodschmooze.org. Thanks to Julia Tertian, author of Now and Again, which is very inspiring about uh, using leftovers to make other meals, just reinventing what you have. And it will make you think in a different way. I find that. And it inspired us at yeah. lunch. So thanks for being back with us, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, yeah, happy we'll Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll see you happy soon. Thanksgiving. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.
Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.